Welcome. We're so grateful that you're here. Today, I kind of want to open up with a story. Maybe you've heard the story, but two twins are in their mother's womb. And it's the day of birth. Those women might remember that day. And one of the sons that's coming out grabs the heel of the other because he wants to be firstborn. The story is the story of Jacob and Esau. Two twins born on that day, but one wanted that firstborn birthright. And for the rest of his life, he's a deceiver and a manipulator. And he also gets deceived and manipulated because that's really what his name means, heel grabber or deceiver. Now, the story goes like this, and I want to use it as an illustration point today as we talk about peace. Jacob and Esau were twins, but they were completely different. One was a manly man that had hair, and he loved to be outdoors and hunt and fish and do all those things. The other one, it says, his skin was soft, and he liked to be close to mom, and we call that a... Welcome, if you're here today. Um... I was a mama's boy. Also, man. My dad's laughing over there. But here's the beauty of it. Here's the beauty. In this story, there's a birthright that is sold and something that is stolen, a blessing. Now, the birthright was something that was important. There was a day when, when Esau comes into the picture and he's starving. He's been outside. And Have you ever played so hard when you were a young boy, 13, 14, 15? You come in and you're famished. He says, he comes and sees his brother Jacob and he says, for that food, I will sell you my birthright. And so it says for some lentil soup, which, ugh. I'm sure you make good lentil soup. It's not my favorite. But for some lentil soup and some bread, he sells his birthright. And Jacob is excited. He's been trying to grab this since the womb. The birthright was something that was important. Because they were twins and they were both firstborn sons, that birthright said that he was going to receive a double portion of Isaac's inheritance. In Genesis 25, it says, Isaac was so wealthy that the king of the Philistines asked him to leave because he became so powerful and so rich. So this double portion, you're talking about a huge lottery. It's a big win. It's going to be a big bounty because he might be one of the richest men in the region. It's, it's a Bill Gates kind of wealth in those days. It was pretty strong. Now, as Isaac is coming to his deathbed, I'm going through a lot of chapters in Genesis in about 32 seconds because there's a point that we're trying to get to. As Isaac is on his deathbed, he calls his son in and he says, Esau, go out and hunt and bring me back some food and I will bless you. Now, I, uh, Esau's mom and Jacob's mom was there, and she was a little bit scandalous, and she ran to Jacob, mama's little boy, and says, I hear your dad is going to give Esau a blessing. Go out and get a goat and cook it like your father does and receive that blessing. And he goes out and even challenged mom, is this right? And she goes, don't worry about it. He comes back in with this beautiful feast, and he says, mom, my skin is too soft. And so she's made him, of course, these gloves. Mama's little boy, he puts gloves on him. And they have like camel necks hair is what it says. I mean, not camel, goat's neck. The, the. And so he puts it on, he goes in and he says, Dad, I'm here with your food. And he's like, who is that? It's Esau. 
He knew something was up, but he says, come to me. Fills his arm, uh, receives it, says, oh, it must be you, and then he gives him this blessing. A few minutes, uh, 30 or so minutes later, an hour later, Esau comes back with the real food, doing it the right way. And he says, I'm here, Dad. And he says, you were already here. And he's like, Jacob! Gets very mad. And he says, Dad, don't you have a blessing for me? He says, I do, but not like the one I just gave your brother. You're always going to be under him. So Jacob steals his blessing, and Esau says, and he says, the day after mourning, I will kill Jacob. After my father dies, there's a Jewish period of eight days where you mourn. After that day of mourning, I'm going to kill Jacob. His mom gets it and sends him away to her brother's house, Laban. And I'm going to leave the story right there where Jacob flees, and we'll come back to this towards the end of the message. We're so grateful that you've joined us on this summer morning. Uh, we're excited about things that journey in the summer. For some reason, God does great things with us. And um, for me, I believe it's an exciting time. When you look into the world and I, uh, you see all the chaos and confusion and the division, I also believe that's what God talks about, is him bringing his son back a second time. So that chaos and confusion is a sign for us to realize that God is getting near, uh, closer to us by bringing his son back. This summer, we're going to see mission trips and birthday parties. I want to remind you, if you're interested in Israel, come and see me. I'd love for you to uh, experience a pilgrimage to Israel. It was a, a, a trip of a lifetime. There's going to be a lot of stuff. There will even be themed Sundays where we'll have some stuff out in the front we just love to have fun at this church, and we want to make church fun, but we also want it to be impactful. What does it take for you to have a maximum impact in Christ? How many sermons does it really take? If you listen to people that have preached their whole life or people that have heard a good message, really they say three or four sermons should be life-changing. And this week when a group of us pastors were sitting, uh, sitting at the table talking about the messages and stuff, one of them said, Jeff Barnett, I, I've started taking notes because I want to make sure I get the most out of every sermon I sit down with. And you know what? At, on our Sunday services, we give you a green piece of paper, not because green is cool, but it is. But we also put the sermon on there, and we put a place that you can write notes because you should try and come into church and make it the most impactful by saying, what one thing or what two things or what three things made sense to me? I love it when I see my friend Lori, uh, she always posts something and she's got hers highlighted and she usually takes away one big thing. This summer, learn to make this impactful. If you've got a Bible, it's okay to bring it. We call this the fact checker. You should check your pastor. You shouldn't trust him. You should read it. And if he's wrong, come up and see Jeremy. just want to make sure that you get the most out of your, your, your sermon. If you use your phone, actually use the phone for the Bible. Facebook will be there after the sermon, I promise you. I've been praying it'll crash, but I'm sure it'll still be there. They'll have it up before the end. Today, I want to start back in the Sermon on the Mount. I want to put this picture up again, this beautiful picture. This is a real picture looking into the Sea of Galilee. This is where the Sermon on the Mount was preached. It's an actual place. Above this is the Church of Mount Beatitudes. And in this valley is where Jesus spoke. So if you are able to stand, please stand. We're going to read again from the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. Jesus has been baptized in chapter 3. In chapter 4, he's tempted. And then in 
chapter 5, he starts preaching. And these are some words that he preached on the Sermon on the Mount. Our memory verse is just the beginning, verses 1 and 2. But I'm going to kind of roll into it and I'm going to skip down to verse 8. It says, now Jesus saw the crowds and he went up to the mountainside and he sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach him. And he said, last week, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Then we go down to verse 8. It says, blessed are those who are pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. That's our verse today. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Today we're going to talk about being peacemakers. I'm going to pray for peace. I'm going to ask for you to open up your heart and at least take one thing away from today so that we can make this world a better place. So let's pray. Father in heaven, I praise you. You are so good. And you never let us down. And as we come before you as a community of believers or people seeking you, I pray that you will reveal your heart and will to us, that you will bring us a revelation directly from your, from your heart to our heart. I pray that you will sanctify us and build us in that salvation experience and that you will bring new life into this place. And Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you will continue to transform us all, renewing our mind away from this world and into your heart, into your love, into your grace and mercy. Open up our mind and soul so that we can understand peace and that we can become peacemakers. Father, we love you. Father, we praise you. And we thank you for your son. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Go ahead and be seated. You know, when I think of the word peacemaker, my mind kind of, I'm a little dyslexic, so my mind goes to peacekeeper, and I got a picture of, of some peacekeepers going into Darfur uh, the, in the region of Sudan. Now, these aren't soldiers. Do you realize that? When they put the little blue thing on and the white car, they're called peacekeepers. Now, I kind of, you know, being that dyslexic guy, my mind always goes to this section. But the question is, is that what Jesus was saying in this section of the Beatitudes? What was Jesus saying? I think Jesus uttered this or spoke this same concept to us. If you listen to it again, it says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. It doesn't say anything about peace. It says peacemakers. This world needs peace. That's why this UN multinational uh, military goes into nations and brings peace. It goes to places where their government is unstable. And it wants to speak and bring peace and make sure that there's stability. And everybody gets behind it. Multinational. Jesus is saying the world needs a bunch of peacekeepers or peacemakers. Because in our homes, in our cities... In our state, in our country, in our world, we need peace. And we need to create peacemakers that come from the real kingdom, the kingdom of God, so that this world will be a better place and that we will raise our kids and our grandkids and we will live in a better place ourselves. Now, as we talk about this, we talk about being blessed. Last week, we talked about being blessed. And one of the concepts or one of the ideas about being blessed is if I am being blessed, I'm being overthrown with his goodness and his mercy and his love when it's coming over me. It says that I am being approved by God. 
When you make a right living and you make an impact for the kingdom, he wants to bestow stuff upon you. And it's not always money, but money's good. A lot of times it's, it's, it's happiness, it's, it's love, it's mercy, it's good relationships. Your kids obey once, that's a good blessing. I said once, so don't get excited about that. But those are what we call a blessing. But here's another idea of what a blessing would, get, would be. Those that give themselves as Jesus did in order to make others know God are also blessed. That's another idea of blessed. In the Beatitude, it says blessed eight times. We need to understand what blessed is. Blessed are those that put themselves on the line as Jesus did to connect them or reconcile them with God. That would be a blessing, and that's what God wants. It's an approval. What does the word peacemaker mean? Here's the definition from uh, the dictionary. It says, a person who brings about peace, especially reconciling adversaries. That's what a peacemaker does. Jacob and Esau are adversaries at this point because the guys uh, um, deceived him. And it says a peacemaker comes and says, this is an adversary, this is an adversary, and he brings reconciliation. Some of the synonyms that we see as a peacemaker are arbitrator, mediator, negotiator, go-between, and intermediary. That's what we're talking about here. In our society, we hear a lot about mediation. Companies mediate with their people, uh, divorce courts and, and, and uh, legal courts. Sometimes your job says, sign this because you're saying, before you sue me, you're going to go to mediation. Mediation is a big part of our life, and peacemaker is really one of those words. We are trying to bring peace, find common ground, take two things that are against each other and bring them together so that wholeness and peace will come. Now today, no matter if you believe in Jesus or not, I want to make sure everybody leaves here being a peacemaker. So my, I'm putting a guarantee that I guarantee you, you will be a peacemaker before you leave here today. Now, we've made a decision recently to make the most impact uh, in, our, in our sermon series uh, to do some sort of imagery teaching. Use props and stuff so that it makes sense, so that you can separate one sermon from the next. Now, I don't know if you realize this, but over time, if you come like my family does regularly, you start, they start, all start to blur together, even if they were great. So today, I'm not any props. I don't have the Monopoly board. I don't got a bathtub that Jeremy got. I don't have a tree branch or something, but I do want to give an image for you today. So everybody put your hands up. Like you're being held up. Okay, everybody put your money out in the front hand. <laughs> everybody shake your hands. P leave your dominant hand up. And then take your pinky and your ring finger and put them down. And then put your thumb over it. Congratulations, you are a peacemaker. <laughs> hey, I didn't say put them down. In this moment, everybody that has done this is a peacemaker. You have been a handmade peacemaker. Go, go ahead and put them down. The text doesn't say, I'm going to make you a peaceful person. It says, I'm going to make you a peacemaker. When I think about this symbol and the peacemakers that we've all made, I think of hippies. Now, I got a picture of a couple hippies up here. I don't know if you've seen this back in the 70s. If you recognize that, that's my dad with his red hair. He actually has hair. And that's my mom. Does she look like a hippie? This is in the early 70s, and it goes back to this concept. Go ahead and take it down. They love that. That's their wedding picture, by the way. 
Uh, wow, they were cute back then. They're over here. If you want to see what they look like now, just turn to your... <laughs> but we go back, and I think of this, and I think of the days in the 60s and the 70s and what we thought peace was and how we've transitioned from what we thought peace was. During these times, we took peace, and we started to make it as a divider. We, don't, we didn't become peacemakers. We were doing sit-ins and love-ins and all these end things. But what they were really doing was dividing the country. They weren't doing the thing that peacemakers do, which is come before and, and, and bring two adversaries together. Today, when we protest and, 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 and we hold up signs out in front of our employer or in front of our government, we also need to bring adversaries together so that we can move beyond this. And that's what Jesus is communicating. He's saying we need resolution, not just division. And so peace in the 60s has transferred over into our life. And we need to change that and make sure that we take two adversaries and bring some resolution. The word peacemaking in the Bible and in life is not a passive word. It's an active word. It's not something, that's, it's, uh, it's not something that we do very passively. Jesus uses this active language and says, a peacemaker is one who attacks a situation and confronts a situation, but not for his own will, but to bring these two pieces pieces together, these two adversaries, so that they can have this peace and resolution. We need to confront things head on. I want to tell you a true story. A young junior high girl was on the phone, and she's bawling. And her mom hears the phone. I mean, she hears her daughter crying as she's on the phone. And she comes in and says, honey, what's the matter? And the girl just puts the phone down and pushes it on speakerphone. On the other line was another mother communicating to her daughter. And she was saying, I am so thankful for what you have done. The last two months, you have impacted our life like no other person I've ever met. Two months ago, my daughter tried to commit suicide. And her friends abandoned her, and they didn't know what to say, so they quit texting her. And you that really don't know her, you're just a friend at school, have been texting her every day for two months, letting her know that she's loved, that she's cared for, she won't be condemned, that there's a man named Jesus, that if she invites him into her life, will change everything and bring her the peace that will last all understanding. And her mom starts bawling because this girl, she's a peacemaker. There's an adversary out there, and that adversary is telling this girl lies. And this young junior high girl that goes to church, that knows Jesus, that's part of a Bible study, believes in Jesus, this man named Jesus, can change her life. For two months, the mom said, thank you for all those texts. They've washed our family clean, and we feel the most hope we've ever had. That's what a peacemaker does. We have an adversary. This child needs to be connected to God and there's an enemy out there that's telling this child she's not worth it. Take your own life. This peacemaker comes in. Bring Jesus, the great mediator in your life and watch that other adversary disappear and bring peace into the conflict. Peace and lack of, lack of peace actually drains us. 
This poor young girl was drained because of the things around her and the peace that she didn't have. It drains us. And we use things to soothe our peace. First of all, when we don't have peace, we harm our body like this girl. We let people harm our body or we harm our body. Or we're a workaholic. Let's just keep working. If I work 60 or 70 or 80 hours a week, I don't, it doesn't matter. I'm not going to find peace because I'm so busy. Or we just do busy tasks all day long and never let the peace happen. Or if we really want to find peace, what we try and do is let's just find silence. Today, the world, the magic thing is silence and meditation. That's the magic in the world. But really what you're saying is I'm going to ignore people in my situations and I'm going to go into my room or my closet or I'm going to go up in a mountain or in a lake. And if I just find silence, maybe there I will find peace. But that's not the peace that Jesus is talking about. He's talking about an internal peace. Jesus is challenging us and he is called the prince of peace. And he says, the peace I give you is an inside job that's done from me. It's not about ignoring issues. It's not about pushing issues aside. It's confronting them, but also bringing a solution to them. There's a lot of problems in the world. There's a lot of struggles in this world. It's easy to stand on one side or the other, and we all do it. I'm guilty as well. But what we need to do is try and bring people together, bring situations together so that all of us benefit. And that's what a peacemaker does. And this junior high girl just amazes me as she goes through this. She brings peace to this girl. And if this girl really believes this, she will be called, at the end of this text, it says, a child of God. Peacemakers are people that go into the most important times and take those bankrupt people, those broken people, and give them hope and peace and love and mercy that transcends anything that we know upon this earth. Here's three things that peace is, and I think they're in your notes, but I want to make sure that you highlight these. Peace is a gift. A lot of times everybody thinks I'm going to make this about me, but really it's a gift from God. We masquerade as worldly peace, but it's really what we masquerade in this world as worldly peace is really just a temporary lull in chaos. What we think is peace, for the most part, is a, just a lull or a quiet time in chaos. There is, there is a, and, and that's what we're trying to do. Here's what Jesus says in John chapter 14. It says, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. There's two adversaries. You know that your heart and mind are adversaries? And they need the peace of God to bring them together so that our heart, mind, and soul are working together for one. And the peace I give you as a gift, the world can't give you. The peace I give you is a gift that the world can't give you. The peace that we want from God, the peace that we require in our heart is something that only God can give. And then he says, so don't be afraid. Don't be troubled. Don't worry. I have a gift. And it will change you if you allow it to become part of who you are. Peace is a work of God. Those who act and live as Jesus acts and lives actually are bringing peace into this world. And they would be called blessed and they would be called children of God. Believing in this adoption and the sonship covenant, they will be called blessed and children of God. They're acting as Jesus did. And really, if it's, it's a work of God, it really means that there's no peace apart from God and your relationship. 
Well, how do we know that? How does that make sense? You look at Romans chapter 5, verse 1, and it tells us about the work that God has for us. Since we have been made right in God's sight, by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus did on the cross. As Jesus puts himself on the cross, as the blood drips down, as he passes away, the gift that we receive and the work that we get from God is peace. It's a gift and it's a work that brings us out of the chaos of this world and into the solution of God's heavenly peace. And it should also be a goal. The goal says this, those who bring reconciliation to those broken, bankrupt, monopoly type of situations, those that are poor in spirit, they are carrying on the work of Christ. We are carrying the burden as Jesus carried on the burden. And we're doing that work. Those that are doing that are making peace. And that's a goal. You know, as I started going through this, the, the last couple weeks for me haven't been super peaceful. And there's been a, a few things that have come up and it hasn't been a very peaceful couple weeks. And it's not just at church. I've got stuff at home going on. We're building and it's a nightmare. But I need to become a peacemaker and not a troublemaker. I'm really good at one. It's not the one you think. Thanks. But our goal should be peace. We need to make peace, right? We all made peace. We got a handmade peacemaker. But we need to be made by God so that we can make peace. And that's what he wants for us. Jesus doesn't say in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are those who are peaceful. Blessed are those who have a peaceful disposition. That's not what he says. He says, blessed are those who are peacemakers. And that should be our goal. Our focus should be on an active peacemaking job and not our personality and our wants and our desires. Because that's where the peace gets robbed. He says, blessed are those who come into this situation at church, at home, at work, and make peace and bring two people that are on opposite sides or two parties that are opposite sides and bring a solution. Generally, it's not the perfect solution for both sides, but it's a workable solution that everybody can work together. And that's what the essence of Christianity is. God is distant for those that don't know him, Christians are, are connected with Jesus, and our job is to go into this world and bring our peacemaking, uh, our regime, which is the Holy Spirit and God's word, into this world and connect more people to Christ and watch the peace of God transcend and transform this world. Peace should be our goal. This last week, I've, wait, I've made a decision to make peace. Wake up and say, where can I be a peacemaker? With my kids? with my wife, with things at church, with my building in the back, all these things. Where can I make peace so that I can make this work? James talks about this. This is Jesus' brother. He says, but the wisdom is far above. The wisdom from far above is first of all pure. It's peace-loving. It's gentle at all times and willing to yield to others. It's full of mercy and good deeds. It shows no favoritism, and it's always sincere. So I need to go in above and look for that wisdom, and it's peace-loving, and watch how it works in my life. In verse 18, it says, And those who are peacemakers 
will plant seeds of peace and reap uh, a harvest of righteousness and reap a right living. Those that walk into this world will reap a harvest of righteousness, of living right and experiencing the blessings and the mercies and the grace from God even when you don't deserve it. And that's what he's talking about here. Real peacemakers care about somebody's internal peace. Real peacemakers are interested on the inside, not the external. A lot of times we think peace is an external. Put on a happy face. Put your best foot forward. And just smile and bear it. No. Real peacemakers are about internal peace. And that starts with truth. And in, in this text, it says God's word. And James says it's pure, which are truthful. And then it's peace loving. But here's the thing. Has anybody ever tried to give truth to someone? It's hurtful. And it brings strife and pain. But from that moment that you've decided to bring truth, you need to bring it in love. And you watch the strife of truth transform that internal thing into an eternal thing because God wants to work in that moment. We have to go from eternal to internal, bring truth, and watch this peace spill out all over our lives. Let me get back to the story. Jacob and Esau, they're adversaries, they're struggling. The only solution for Esau is for his brother to die because then he at least receives his birthright back because he will receive the full inheritance. And that was the solution that he came up with. There was really no other humanly solution. But peace needed to be something that Jacob wanted. So I'm just going to go through it. If you're looking for some good reading, I put the notes in there, what the story is. It's in Genesis 25 to like 33. And uh, there's a great read. But Jacob goes to his uncle Laban, and he lives there for 20 years. Come to find out, uncle Laban is a, a cheater and a liar and a manipulator even more than Jacob. He accidentally married uh, his uh, sister, uh, the, his wife's sister, and so that's, a, that's an interesting part. I've never accidentally married anybody. <laughs> I was close a couple times, but I never really did. He marries Rachel, and then he marries Leah, and it creates this liar-cheater concept. But here's the thing. I'm trying to use this story to see Jacob needs peace in the situation. And he's in a conflict where he's being conned by his, his father-in-law, and he needs help. And here's what he says. If we go back to Genesis, I'm just going to read through some of this so I don't mess it up. It says, so Jacob went to Rachel and Leah and told them to come out into the fields where his flocks were. He said... I see that your father's attitude towards me is not what it was before. But the God of my father has been with me. You know I've worked for your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me by changing my wages ten times. Listen, if you've ever had to have a father-in-law conversation, it's not easy. He's in this situation. The first moment of peace, he has to step away from this and say, Girls, we're packing up the RV and we're moving out. And it's not an easy situation. And the truth is, their dad doesn't like it. And there's a lot of chaos and struggle and, and, and a bunch of harm. But later down the road, he says, fine, I'm going to let you go. And he kisses his grandkids and he goes on his way. After much chaos, God told him to return back home. 
And Jacob does that. He decides he's going to go back home and meet Esau. And as he's traveling back, he sends some messengers ahead and tell my brother that I'm on my way. And then he, he puts up camp. And in his camp, he gets the messengers come back and they say, we met Esau and he's on his way to meet you. Oh, and by the way, he's bringing 400 soldiers or 400 men with him. And now Jacob is like, listen, God, you told me to go back. What's going on? And so here's what happens. Jacob goes into prayer. Genesis 32, 9. Oh, God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, you have said to me, go back to the country and your relatives, and I will make you prosper. And I am unworthy of the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. I only had a staff when I crossed the Jordan River, but now I have become two camps. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, for I am afraid that he will come and attack me and also the mothers with their children. But you have said, I will surely make you prosper, and I will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. So here you see Jacob actively trying to make peace. First of all, he realizes the only way he can uh, start his life and truly have internal peace is to get away from his father-in-law and his, his uh, cheating, deceptful ways. And then he says, I'm going to send a message for uh, my brother and tell him I'm on my way because I don't want to think I'm sneak attacking him and I'm coming in, in a place of war. And that's what we need to do sometimes. Write a letter, send it out and say, this is what I need to discuss. This is where I need to go. This is how I want peace. And then once you realize that you're going to have this confrontation, you pray. And he prays. Then he wrestles with God. His hip gets knocked out. And I just want to get to the end of the story and, uh, so that you can see what peace looks like. Because there's a moment where peace transcends all of our understanding. There's a moment when we do the right steps to become a peacemaker that it changes. And it's not easy. Jacob is in fear for his life. There's a good chance he plans on dying this day. But he sets up a whole plan to make sure that his brother knows, I'm putting you above me. And I want you to see it. Here's what it says. In Genesis 33, it says, Jacob looked up, and there was his brother Esau coming with his 400 men. And so he divided, Jacob divided uh, his children among Leah and Rachel and two female servants. He put the female servants um, and their children in front, Leah and their children next, and Rachel and Joseph in the near in the rear. And then he himself went ahead and bowed to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. Here he set up his family. This goes here, this goes here, and of course his favorite kid is in the back because he wants to protect him. But he goes to the front of the line and he comes at a very humble place and he bows down seven times. And he shows his brother, I'm coming peace. I want to make peace to you. And he bows down. And that's what we need to do. But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and he kissed him and they wept. And when Esau looked up and saw the women and children, he says, who are these? Jacob answered, they are the children God has graciously given me. Then the female servants and their children approached and bowed down. Next, Leah and her children came and bowed down. And last came Joseph and Rachel and they bowed down. This is an important moment. Jacob has done the right thing to become peace. He's not only done the things that he needs to, he's also showed his family, this is how we confront issues and this is how we make peace. 
I sent him a letter. I prayed to God. I come with a humble spirit. And also, he's coming with an offering to say, whatever I can do to repay you for what I've done. Here's some restitution, and that's where he's at. What is the meaning of all these flocks and these herds I've met? It's to find favor in your eyes, my Lord. He lifts them up even greater than he is. But Esau says, I've had plenty. I already have plenty, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. No, said Jacob. If I have found favor in your eyes, accept this gift from me. For to see your face is like seeing the face of God. Now that you have, ex- have received me favorably, please accept these presents that was brought to you. For God has been gracious to me, and all- I have all I need. And because Jacob insisted, Esau accepted. And there's an image of just Jacob and Esau hugging. This is what peace looks like. When we do the steps and we come into our life, we become peacemakers. And the end result is two adversaries find peace. Peacemaking is active. Peacemaking are blessed because they make the world a better place. And ultimately, you receive this sonship covenant. When you say you're a Christian, you need to make this part of who you are. Blessed are those. If you're a child of God, you will be ultra blessed or more blessed to become a peacemaker. Jacob's goal when he went back was to find peace. His goal was to reconcile with his brother, but to find internal peace. 20 years of, of, of chaos in his heart. But the only way that he found eternal peace was to believe God could do something. This was going to be my goal. And I was going to use everything that God had gifted him, all the resources and provision. He was going to use that to make sure that his final act with his brother was going to be about peace. Isaiah 53 says, I will teach your children and they will enjoy great peace. You need to learn to have peace and become a peacemaker in your life. And then we need to teach it to our children and teach them how to have peace. This world is in chaos and there's an army rising up and they need to have peace. We're all a bunch of broken people. We're bankrupt. We're poor in spirit. But with Christ, we can still bring peace and bring the greatest gift to everyone in this world. The guy that did this all the time that was a crook and a thief and he needed peace the one that kind of created this thing, Richard Milhouse Nixon, said the greatest honor in history can be bestowed. The greatest honor history can bestow is that of a peacemaker. And this guy needed peace. This guy needed peace. But he says if you look back in history, those that are peacemakers get the greatest honor. That's what we are trying to do. Jesus came and he wants to bring peacemaking regime into this world, connecting people to God through Jesus, through our testimony. Peace should be our goal. Don't do it on your own. God has this work for you. Use his gift. And when we do that, we will be called children of God. We will receive that sonship covenant and all the blessings of that firstborn. Romans says this, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. If you're here today, the Holy Spirit's speaking. It might sound like a nasally guy like me. 
but the Holy Spirit is speaking right now. Where do you need peace? And where can you put your peacemaker into action? Will you just bow your heads and let's pray that God will continue to work and move in our life and bring peace. Father, we are all just children wandering in this world, believers and non-believers, and we seek you for peace, creating us a peacemaking action so that we can go in and be a part of your army. I know that we are all broken. We are all bankrupt. We are all poor in spirit. But many of us have put you first and are asking, Lord, give me this gift and let me utilize it. Make peace my goal. And for those that don't know Jesus, the greatest act of bringing peace internally inside of you is to invite Jesus into your heart. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus or you want to know Jesus or you're being called into a deeper relationship with Jesus, I ask that you pray right now. Invite him in and make this peace of God become reality in your life. That you repeat after me. Father, forgive me. Come into my heart and bring me peace. I believe that you died and that you rose again for my eternal salvation and my walk with you all the days of my life. Holy Spirit, come over me right now and fill me up and teach me how to walk in this world, giving away your peaceful gift. We love you, Lord, and we praise you because you are the God of the universe. Bless us today, Lord.